Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In the words from his website, Ruben Bins is an associate professor of human-centered computing, working between computer science, law, and philosophy, focusing on data protection, machine learning, and the regulation of and by technology. We sit down for an hour and talk about artificial intelligence from the theory of singularity to how it positively and negatively impacts our everyday life and society today. Ruben, just before we hit record, we started talking about um, how the uh, communicating on the internet has changed, and we were saying how strange it is that we're doing well—not strange, but we we're using Discord to record a podcast. Um, but we've previously talked about Skype. You're you're well into computers, right? Is that a fair thing to say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think that's fair to say. Um, I don't know. I always I just uh, I got given a, a word processor off my dad when I was little, uh, yeah. which was those Amstrads. Do you remember those Amstrad of that had Absolutely, the sort of yeah. background and green text? What did you do and with it? I don't really know. Not not a great deal, but I remember just enjoying, like, you know, messing around with whatever settings I could fiddle about with. You couldn't really do much on them. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, was it, the, is it literally the one with the black, with the green text that would have a cursor that you would move... Yeah, yeah, no mouse, just just no. the arrows. Um, I remember those. I remember it, and I remember being fascinated by it. But my my career path didn't lead me down a, a road that would end up at me being a professor of human centered computing. What does that mean? At Oxford, <laughs> no less. Um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I I you know they they tend to like put particular titles on the sort of academic mm. uh, job spec um so mine is human centered computing so that means uh rather than just looking at you know how we can build faster algorithms or you know uh, more powerful computers i also consider the sort of human elements of computers so how they affect society how they affect people and how we can design them better so that they you know have the right values and interests of people in mind um i want to start with the conversation so i've spoke to about four different people uh before recording this podcast about ai um and um 
what I wanted initially to speak to someone about was the idea of the singularity, the fact that there will be some sort of sentient AI that will be able to self-propagate and make decisions and understand its creation and, and understand what God is and, and, and why it was created and perhaps uh, juggle with that. But all of you, every single person in, who worked in this field, like, sighed as soon as it was, I could hear it. Even if they didn't actually sigh, I could hear their, the blood drain from their face. Like, oh, God, really? You want to have this conversation? What's wrong with that? What, what is wrong with that conversation for someone who understands AI in the way you do? Uh, I think there's not there's not a, nothing wrong with the conversation in itself because I think it, it reveals a lot about you know our fears, our hopes, our sort of dreams about you know, who 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 we could be as humans in future, and what you know what it means to have a computer that could challenge our own sort of supremacy in the sort of uh, in the hierarchy of the animal kingdom, mm. but. I think all that's interesting, but I think the reason why computer scientists will sigh is because they just probably all think that we're a long way from that. Um, and the way that people who talk about that stuff as if it's as if it's going to happen are often coming at it with a with an agenda, whether that's because they're like a tech CEO who wants to get in more investment or wants to get people excited about their company, mm. or if it's like people who don't really know about the technology but find it interesting to debate about the ethics of what if we had a terminator um yeah. and i guess that's where the sighing comes from because those those conversations are not always uh you know very productive to be having especially when they're sort of a smoke screen for what else is going on which is you know what do you mean using computers to decide you know who who gets a job interview or whether your benefits will be cut or whether you'll get investigated for fraud or things like we'll that. De let, let, we'll definitely come on to that. But I just, yeah. just, just because I know people are going to be listening to this podcast and wanting to have this conversation first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so just how, how realistic is it that there will be a, a piece of AI software that can uh, self-propagate or develop itself? Will it happen in our lifetime? Will it happen in a hundred years? Is it unlikely to ever happen? What what what's the school of thought from someone who genuinely understands AI? Well, I guess like if you're just saying something that can self-replicate and get better, I mean that already exists. We've got like malware that propagates. Do you remember when they uh, there was that um, <coughs> name now? There was various malware that's um, that's like infected the NHS servers and infected you know, loads of companies all around the world. And that's because it, it stalls on one computer and then starts trying to make connections to other computers. Mm. So you've got those kind of software that replicates itself and, and, and adapts. That's that's already a thing, but it's not conscious in the way that a human being or even a course, like yeah. simple animal is. So I'd say, yeah, there's already that kind of thing. But in terms of like something that can think and, and reason and like have desires and, and like choose to, you know, try and take over the world. I think we're a very long way from that. And there's kind of, I guess, you could go into different reasons why that is. Um, but if I, I mean, I can sort of outline some of the reasons why yeah. that's useful. So, so I guess to start with, there's kind of two strands of research in artificial intelligence. Um, 
and also it's worth saying like artificial intelligence as a term is kind of difficult because it's always changing the goalposts so every time you know there's a, something that computers can't do that humans can do we say oh well you need it'll be artificially intelligent when it can do x and x might be playing chess x might be playing chess to the level that can beat you know gary kasparov or you know the, the grandmasters but as soon as you design a program that can do that then suddenly everyone's like oh well that's not real artificial intelligence Is, has that happened yeah i mean so we've got we've got chess playing computers that, that have beat the grandmasters really but they're very specific they're just a program that just plays chess it can't do anything other than play chess yeah of course yeah play checkers so essentially what it what it does is evaluate every possible move and just picks the best possible solution in that and there's no way that a human being or or or, there's no way a human brain can do just in that very specific task what that program's programmed to do exactly yeah yeah so there's there's lots of like systems which would be called which would have been called ai before which people would debate whether it's real ai or not but that can do specific things that, that humans that are better than a human could do. Yeah. Um, and that's, so that's, that's been around for a while, but so there's this, so there's kind of this changing goalposts are always like redefining what it means to be AI. Um, and so I, so if someone asks me what AI is, I just say, well, it depends like who you're asking when you're yeah. asking. Um, but there's kind of one strand of research, which sort of started in the 1950s. <coughs> the idea was the model intelligence in the way that you would, you know, like arguments like um, all men are mortal, Socrates is a man. So those are two facts. And then you can derive another fact from those two facts, which is that Socrates is mortal because yeah. you can follow that chain of inference. Yeah. So that's one type of AI, which is called like symbolic AI. Um, and it's kind of then developed into like what they called expert systems where they tried to get, you know, doctors or uh, lawyers to say, what's all the stuff you know let's put that into a database and we'll come up with some rules about how you can combine bits of knowledge and then derive conclusions from it um and so that was popular in the sort of 80s um and then now what we've got is um machine learning which is this idea that rather than saying here are the, the facts and the rules and then we design a program that can reason based on those facts and rules um instead we just show the computer loads and loads of data that could be you know this is an image and it's of a cat and this is an image of it's a dog and you just show the computer loads and loads of images of cats and dogs and you label each image and then you get the computer to figure out based on all the images it's seen like what combinations of pixels and colors and shapes mean that it's a more likely to be a dog versus a cat and that's the sort of machine learning approach, which says we're not going to try and like decide for the computer what an ear is or what like a, a snout is. We're just going to give it loads and loads of data and it can figure out for itself how to distinguish between those kind of things. So if you're showing it a picture of an ear, human ear, yeah, it's really looking at the pixels and the different shades in that pixel, something like that. Is that or? or... Yeah, at the basic level, the, the sort of the data that goes in, let's say it's a black and white image. Each pixel or the image would be divided up into squares and each square would have a number and that number would basically mean it could be zero would be completely white and one would be completely black. And yeah. if it's somewhere in between, it's a number in between. So what the, what the computer gets is just 
a series of numbers that describe what color each pixel is. But then it will build up from that. It will have um, sort of layers of understanding in, in the middle, which will be like, okay, well, three black pixels in a row is a line, yeah. for instance. And it just builds up gradually from that. It tries to build up so, the idea of different I features. Think, so so for, I think for a lot of people, um, myself included, um, I think the idea that AI, it makes complete sense that you say that that's exactly what, what's happening, but it's less scary or exciting, depending on how, how you look at it, when I see a picture of an ear and my brain isn't doing it on a on a molecular level, it isn't doing it on yeah. a pixel by pixel base. It's just, I know what an ear is, my brain knows what an ear is, so therefore I can explain that. Yeah. Whereas for a computer, it's literally going back to and it makes complete sense now you're saying it but you did what what about um so what about the 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 the, the robots that that like that they're they're um they get they, they they make humanoid forms and they're talking and someone's asking the question about what do you think i can't remember the name of the do you remember the name of the robot the girl there's a girl talking sophia. is it sophia yeah, I think so. That's one of them anyway. Yeah, and they're very creepy and they've got given them human features in order to tap into the idea that this is a robot and it's sort of they're trying to make it as human as possible. What is what is that? Is it is and and the way you know they have journalists come on and talk to them and have a conversation. But what is that actual is that a program that simply what would you explain can you explain what that is? What what they've yeah. done there? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about those robots is there's basically two two different kinds of technologies that are supposed to be working together. So one of them is <laughs> basically like a really, really sophisticated Muppet in that it's got like, you know, they've, they've put loads of work into making something that looks like a human yeah. face, muscles and everything. I don't really know about that. The it's animatronics. It looks, it looks cool. Um, it, but it looks freaky. It looks, it's, it's, they've, it's almost like they've made it intentionally rudimental. Yeah, it, yeah. Well, there's this there's this theory, um, this Japanese roboticist who came up with this theory called the Uncanny Valley, which is the idea that if you have like a cute little robot that's just like a couple of lights that on their eyes and then like a little mouth that can make like a little you know smiley face, yeah, that's like cute and we like it and we like interacting with it. But then the closer you get towards being really human realistic, it gets more and more creepy. Yeah until it's so there's this uncanny valley where we get this uncanny like creepiness feeling and and they, they've been conscious of that and done that intentionally yeah i don't know why they do it because i think some people think it's i guess maybe people think well eventually it'll get so <coughs> realistic that it won't be creepy anymore because we don't know the difference like blade runner yeah like blade runner so i guess that's what they're thinking but yeah i don't know but but so the when you when they're talking to the robots you could have a really realistic looking robot that might have a really crappy like speech interface you could have one that had a really good speech interface but a terrible physical manifestation of the face yeah so i guess there's you know you kind of have to separate out those two things and you might you know i think the sophia one i don't know exactly what the um program was that was doing the conversation side of it but you could kind of just plug in anything like whatever the latest speech um, sort of chatbot interfaces, you could put that into that robot and it would sort of, you know. 
work. Be the cutting edge of whatever's available at the time. And what, and what, and what, what is that doing? Is it, a, is it, it when, when, if I ask a question of, um, you know, how has your day been to this program? How is it finding the answer? Um, so like the modern, the sort of most impressive chatbots today are based on what's called large language models. So what they are is instead of like, you know, if you wrote a chatbot in the past, you might be like, okay, well, I'm going to figure out like what are the different types of questions people might ask then figure out some stock responses and then have like some randomization. So it doesn't always say the same thing. That'd be one approach, but the large language model approach is we get, it's a bit like the cats and dogs example, instead of trying to come up with rules for language, we just feed the, the software as many examples of conversations as we possibly can. So they just scrape loads of data that could be like books, novels, film scripts, um, you know, posts on the internet, like Twitter, whatever it could be, could be anything, feed that in and let the robot, well, let the software model language based on all that data. So what it's doing is it's saying, well, if you see this word, think about all the other times you've seen that word and how close it was to other words in the language and then figure out from that what's a plausible or if you take a sentence level because it might be a word level it might be uh, what they call bigrams which is two words or trigrams three words or it could be a whole sentence and then you just figure out well, what's the next most likely sentence or word based on everything it's ever seen before which yeah. is you know more than a human could possibly ever remember so it's basically just trying to replicate what it's seen in the past and what's like a likely thing that might be said next so that's why it can appear really realistic um or really convincing that it's that is what a human would say but um but it, sometimes you can see that it's actually failing because so for instance um what people have found is that if you start typing in the beginning of a social security number so real, so social security numbers like the national insurance number in the US. Yeah, because lots of people have put in their social security number into the internet somewhere, and that uh, software has like read all of that text. It knows like it's got it's memorized some social security numbers. So if you start typing in a social security number, it might then think, okay, this is a conversation I'm having. What's the next most likely thing? And it will it will finish off the social security number. Right. And that might be a real person's uh number yeah so that just reveals that what it's doing is just kind of replicating what it's seen in the real world it doesn't actually understand anything and how how as as, like you said that it it might be quite easy if you know what you're doing quite easily to chat trick a a chatbot but how how much work has gone into making them as effective as they are today is it is it decades of work and everything that we see now is a product of the work that's gone before it and 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 is it a simple process in the modern day um that's a good question i mean i think the the thing that's made it much more effective in the last i want to say maybe five years is just the the move to to just using loads and loads of data so the basic sort of methods haven't changed that much people proposed them a long time ago but it's only recently that they've compiled all the data and tra- and got you know massive servers that are just crunching through all that data and creating these really large language models. And that's only really is it open source? Is it people do this and just give it or, or put it up on the internet? Or 
Well, that's a good question. They they say they have um, so there's a there's a company called OpenAI that do a lot of this stuff, and people are trying to figure out exactly where they get their data from because they don't they don't necessarily say. But it would definitely be they would definitely include everything that's openly available on the internet. So, you know, Wikipedia, um, you know, film scripts on IMDb. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, there there are some we haven't talked about yet, but there are some that do image generation. So you say, you know, yeah, show I want me to talk about that. So that that's the same principle, and that's all based on you know. Remember Flickr? That was a website where people uploaded videos or that's right. photos. And it would just take all of them and use that as training data. So it's a, it, it's a bit vague exactly what they use, but I'm sure it includes everything that's public and probably stuff that's private as well. So 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 recently, certainly in the last six months, there's been this huge thing about um, AI image generation. Yeah. Um, and this is there's um, there's like Discord servers that you can pay to have twenty twenty different requests and images created, and then there's other websites that are free, but they're like. There's tons of ads and pop-ups and stuff. They know people are interested in them. But fundamentally, what you're asking is you put in some search terms and then there is a program, an AI program that creates an image based on what you've searched. So, you know, full disclosure, me and Ruben are both Spurs fans, right? We put in uh, an image that would never be created, that would never exist. There's Harry Kane holding a salmon. And we got some interesting reports. I mean, they're straight, they're strange, but we did fundamentally get what we asked for, which was a very strange image of a warped image of Harry Kane, but he was holding a salmon. What's happening there then? How have they made that from it not being a conversation and just becoming a image, a JPEG or whatever it might be? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the the two two elements there is that <laughs> they've got lots of images of Harry Kane and they've got lots of images of people holding salmon. Yeah um so that's the like very simple answer but but, what, but yeah. what's what's happening is in terms of like the how who created that and why does it exist so so there's basically imagine it's got it's it's seen loads and loads of images and it's got a basically almost a map of all the possible images that you could you could think of mm. it can it can kind of do something called interpolation where it will it will sort of go to one space in its map which is people holding a salmon yeah. and then go to another space on the map which is harry kane and then sort of do the intersection of the two things so it's the same way that they can do things like you've seen uh the ones that make someone um have a like a crying face or a smiley face so yeah. Arteta crying exactly. is, is a common one um but it's doing the same thing you're just you're, you're interpolating between the image of the person and then the idea of a smiling or smiling or crying um what's i guess i guess the interesting thing there is that they have to go between the space of language to the space of images yeah so it has to know what holding means it has to know what salmon means um and so that's another that's i guess that's another bit of the puzzle that's recently been figured out is how you are you impressed by this stuff yeah i think it's really it's 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 amazing to see how much it can do given how in a way simple it is it's literally just give it loads and loads of data and then it can generate stuff from that that is that is quite impressive i think the problem is that people then think oh it's got like consciousness or it's got it can do all this other stuff 
and it's interesting to see like how easily it fails so on the image one there's these if you sell it um give me a picture of a spoon in a cup it'll do it and it will give you loads of pictures that look realistic like spoons in cups if you tell tell it give me an image of a cup in a spoon it's like there's nothing out there yeah there's nothing out there so it just gives you images of spoons in cups because it's like well spoon and cup when they go together this is how they go together yeah whereas a human could be like oh that's funny i can imagine i can try and imagine how a cup might fit in a spoon and they could probably come up with something that would look weird but would be what you asked for but the the image generators have no concept of that because they've never that, seen something like that that's interesting as well is that because like i can't imagine a cup in a spoon i can't imagine i don't know what my brain i i, I yeah. can imagine some sort of abstract artist could but in, yeah. when i'm trying to sort of visualize a something as abstract as a cup in a spoon i can't actually do it because i have no reference points yeah and yeah. and and there's like it's an interesting sort of parallel the fact that ai can't do it either yeah but then here's another example where ai can't do it and we can um so if you ask it show me an image of a coffee cup with holes in it if you yeah. if you think of a coffee cup with holes in it it's not going to be full of coffee because it's because it's got holes in it of course so if you em- empty cup yeah, it would be an empty cup, maybe with a bit of coffee at the bottom. <coughs> yeah. When the AI, when you ask the AI to do it, it comes up with coffee cup full of coffee, but also full of holes, which doesn't make sense. It's because it's got no concept of like gravity and objects containing other objects and water flows or coffee flows through holes. It doesn't have a concept of that, so it can't actually generate an image that corresponds to what you've. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you uh, you've heard of deep fakes? Obviously. Yes. Yeah. What? It, so there's there's AI going on there, right? There's a uh, this is something that's what now. Before I, I don't, I don't want to speak too much actually about it. I'm gonna ask you what you think about deep fakes. Are they? Is it as scary as it seems? Given the fact that you can literally make someone appear to be doing something they haven't done, and and what is the sort of ethical sort of dropout from that? Yeah, yeah. I'd say, like, having said previously that I think this, like, fears about killer Terminator AI is, is like, silly, I actually do think deep fakes are quite scary. Yeah. Um, so, you know, lots of people talk about them as being scary because, well, what if someone, like, creates a deep fake of Joe Biden declaring nuclear war on, on Russia or something like that? That, I mean, that could happen, but, like, the more sort of near-term thing which i think is probably going to happen is people so scammers hackers using deep fakes to scam people i think that's definitely going to be an issue so i've got a a, a phd student who's, who's working on this um and so he's looking at how scammers at the moment will will send out spam right so you get emails with spam and it's obviously spam it's easy to see that it's spam and then there'll be phishing attacks which are like the same kind of thing but some of them are targeted so they'll be like they won't just be sending out a generic thing to everyone that's the same they'll be like okay i know this guy's called flav i know he works at this place i know he's got these friends how am i going to craft a phishing attack that's plausible that might sound like it's coming from someone he knows um and those are the two you know the first one's really cheap you can send out loads and loads of spam messages to loads of people or you can spend time as a as a hacker like 
crafting the perfect uh, uh, fishing, like spear fishing attack. Um, Target one person. Deepfakes, yeah, but what deep fakes allow is potentially you could automatically create very convincing either voice deep fakes. So you call someone up and you, and it sounds like it's their mum. Oh my god! So you so you would like crawl so it, it's very in principle. In principle, it could exist. Yeah. So we haven't seen much of it yet, but there's no reason why, given current technology, we couldn't see it in the very near future. Because there's things I've done. There's things I've done and, and nights out I've had, but I can't remember. I can't remember yeah. what I got up to. I'm pretty yeah. sure I was fine, but someone could suggest something that was that, that I'd done, and I I couldn't plausibly say that that didn't happen. Yeah. 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 And 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 also just. Yeah, so that would be like fooling you that you did something you didn't. But then, you know, your mum or your, you know, your friends don't know what, don't know it's not you when they get a call and it sounds just like you. Yeah. What's crazy is they can replicate voices just with twenty seconds of your voice. So if they call you and you answer the phone, you say, "Who's this? Sorry, can't hear you." Okay, I'm going to put down the phone. That might be enough for them to clone your voice. To, 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 to what degree, though? That's a, to, so an entire conversation could be had, and they, my mum wouldn't be able to tell that it wasn't me. Yeah. In principle, they could yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Yeah, <laughs> it's terrifying. What's being done to stop that kind of stuff? Anything? I think. I think well, there's there's people doing research on it, like like this uh, this uh, PhD student. No, but all due, due respect to the PhD student, yeah. and I'm like, I really hope it does a good job, or she does a good job. Yeah. Um. But isn't the government doing stuff? Isn't isn't that this? I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, there's like people like the National Cyber Security Centre. So that's the sort of the part of GCHQ that deals with um, securing uh, businesses and companies. So it's not about like fighting against foreign intelligence agencies. It's about making sure that big companies have the right security in place. They're monitoring <laughs> that kind of thing, but obviously, it's they don't say everything that they're doing so ho hopefully there are people there working on it but also they're not really going to care about like a domestic or, or sort of low level um fishing exercise i mean mate if it becomes such a massive problem that they will yeah but the idea that someone can do that and it, the technology in theory exists so that they could replicate a conversation and that my mum wouldn't know that it wasn't me and me like and that's scary for me because my voice there are thousands there's thousands and thousands of hours of of me talking on the internet yeah, 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 yeah. Stop yeah, it's, nodding. It's, Stop nodding, Rube. Don't. Uh, that, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting worried now. <laughs> what, so tell your PhD student to hurry up. <laughs> it's scary. That is. That is. That's crazy. The fact that that. No, it's not. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Less, less of kind of, you know, when we're talking about deep fakes, you're thinking about, in my, in my mind's eye, it's a. Uh, someone being put in a situation doing something that they shouldn't be doing and then there'd be, be some sort of blackmail blackmail plot against yeah. them but to, to to for it to actually be about replicating a conversation that you've had what, what what where are we going as a society where you you can't trust you can't trust the news you can't trust tweets that you're reading because it may be some sort of uh, russian or chinese bot farm where they mm. the troll a troll farm or whatever it might be and you can't even trust a conversation that you might be having with your mum. Like what? Yeah, yeah. That ethical? Do you, do you, do you have to think about that? Uh, you know the sort of ethical fallout of AI. Yeah, and I think it's probably something that you know people who came up with these fun like image generation AIs should have thought about. Maybe yeah. they did and they decided fuck it, or maybe they they decided it's it's worth it. You know the downsides will be outweighed by the the opportunities. But, but isn't that so, human nature uh, to just continue, just go on, forget yeah. about what the implications might be, just keep yeah. creating, keep you know developing, and whatever happens will happen. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It might it might be that obviously, you know, if it wasn't OpenAI or if it wasn't you know whoever came up with uh, the latest one, it would be someone else. So maybe it's just inevitable, but. I do think we need to be sort of thinking ahead about where these things are going. And, and that's one one example where I would say people aren't worried enough, whereas most of the other ones about, you know, killer killer robots, I'm not too worried about. Yeah. But actually, no, maybe not killer robots. There's like, there's, have you seen those those robot dogs that have guns on them that the police have in, in uh, I can't remember where it was. It was either the US or maybe Singapore or somewhere like that. Not real, though. These are not real things. I don't know. It's like I... Boston Dynamics. Like, you know, sort of... Yeah, 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 yeah. So, all right, I say that that's that's interesting. Well, we and and like, I'm conscious of the fact that your what you do for a profession isn't talking about all of these sort of doomsday, and there are there are real conversations to be had about how AI is implemented in everyday life. Um, but with with Boston Dynamics, they're creating robots that can navigate the real world and react to it what what's your opinion of of that company and what what they're doing i mean uh, does it scare it, you because what yeah it, it's only a matter of time before it's implemented into a war zone or yeah 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 and i suppose if the scenario is well it's two you know superpower nations in a in a war and they both have robot dogs and the, the robot dogs are killing each other at least that's not humans dying but realistically it's not going to be that it's going to be you know, a superpower invading a poor country and using robot dogs to kill poor people in poor countries. Or, or, uh, yeah, and what, what's weird about it is that they're using drones now, which are probably more effective than robot dogs. But robot yeah. dogs are so so much more sort of 
um, that exists in the psych- psyche of, uh, of you know, just, just everybody. Like the idea of a robot dog coming in unannounced, no, 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 no understanding of um, law, or or uh, and coming into your house and holding a gun. Do, do you remember there, there's this film? Uh, Tom Selleck was in. I can't remember what it's called. It was like mach- uh, there was these little sort of machine spiders that would come and inject people and it so i think it's it i can't remember what it was and i'll post it in the link to this this uh the the link to to the podcast but it fundamentally is it was an 80s film and it was that exact same thing was the 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 police were using robots to infiltrate houses without with impunity pretty much anyway i don't know where i'm going with this but the, the the fact is that there's um it's 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 a it's the, the idea that the, these these superpowers are creating robots that can be used as instruments of war, and then there's sort of elements of AI involved. It's mad, like huge sort of ethical boundaries that are being broken. Um, your your work. To, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much this infiltrates your work, but what what what? How how would you say AI works generally in 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 our everyday lives? How are we being impacted? If you forget all of the, you know, crazy stuff that we've been, some 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 of the stuff, crazy stuff we've been talking about. What? How does AI influence our our lives generally today? Um, yeah, I think I suppose there's a bit of like retrospective or uh, what's the word retroactive like use of the word AI for stuff that already existed before it was called AI. So a lot of companies now are just using AI to refer to you know statistical models yeah so if we if we take that sort of slightly broader perspective um you know there's ai being used to sort through job applications for instance so if you so apply for a job now, how big what like amazon or something like that amazon yeah amazon was a, was one of the famous examples but i think all the big companies are doing it now any what company has got, you know what, thousands of yeah positions. what what are they doing so basically they're doing things like scanning cvs and and application letters um and automatically scoring the applicant based on that so if you don't have certain things that they're looking for in the cv it will give you a lower score and then you might not get an interview so even if you're actually a good candidate if it hasn't if the computer has decided you're not a good enough candidate to interview you won't even get an interview and also that that is often the, the way they've trained those systems is based on, well, who did we hire in the past and who did we turn down and what were their CVs like? And then we use that to train the, the model to score the new CVs. Now, what that means is if you're, if you're uh, an industry that's historically been discriminating, been a hostile place for women or people of colour, you're going to end up replicating that same bias in your selection process so someone puts if they're they're female or if they if they're african or wherever it might be that there will be a systematic bias against those people and it's not it's not it's usually not explicit it's not like no they have a field in the application form saying are you a woman or are you black but it's more subtle so it'll be because the world is you know segregated and uh structured in sort of unequal ways there'll be all kinds of things even if you don't say that you're a woman or you're black that will show up in your cv in various ways it might be um the school you went to 
in the US, you've got sort of historically black colleges yeah. or, or um, women only colleges. So if you've got that on your CV and it's a, it's a company that previously only hired men, it's unlikely that you're going to get through that initial but, hiring. But, step. but, but is, that, is that the company pre-setting those parameters? No, not, not explicitly, because what they're doing is they might have, um, you know, they're not, they're not like, well, here's the, here's the features we're going to consider. We're going to tell the system to, to judge based on these things. It's literally, here's a whole CV with loads of words in it. And here's, you know, 10,000 other CVs with words in. Figure out what combinations of words correlate with job success. And so the, the system is sort of let loose to figure out all that stuff and so some of the patterns it, it figures out will be reflecting discrimination rather than being good for the job so that's how it's, it's it's so no one's explicitly telling it to do that but it's that's what it's figuring out and, and is this a is this a system that say someone like amazon or another massive company like forget amazon let's not use them as an example but that the, a huge company do they buy this off the shelf and then just implement it or and who's creating that yeah, there's so there's there's companies that specialize in this kind of software. So there's companies like Pymetrics, Pyreview, and there's a few others that that sort of pioneered this software. And so, you know, big companies will buy those solutions in and use them to filter out candidates. Uh, some companies will do it in-house. So Amazon, for example, was so they have this sort of news story which I've <coughs> always been a bit suspicious about, but the news story was that Amazon designed a system to do this themselves for their own software engineer hiring processes. And then they realized that it was discriminating, so they didn't use it, which, which is like, I guess, a kind of good PR for Amazon. How, 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 long, how long did it take them a year to realize that this is discriminatory? I don't know. They didn't right. say. It all came out at the same time. It was like, yeah. we were going to do this thing, but look how responsible we are. We figured out we shouldn't do it, so we didn't. Is there, is there an argument, though, that, um, like a a piece of AI who that has no emotion, it doesn't understand politics, doesn't understand the world, will simply pick the best candidate for the job. Is that something that's being talked so about? That, so that is like that's often what people assume because it's mathematics. It's just looking at data. There's no human bias involved. But the problem is, if you're if you're doing the sort of statistical approach to AI, which is just looking at patterns in the past. And those patterns in the past are reflecting human choices about who to hire and reflecting human decisions about whether to rate an employee as successful or not. So if you if you if it's a sexist work culture and the management the management reviews people's progress and the managers that are doing those performance reviews are sexist, then the data that you feed into the machine is going to reflect the same thing. Yeah. So the maths might be neutral in a sense, but it's picking up on the on the human patterns and then accurately, neutrally, scare quotes, replicating those patterns. So it's kind of it's easy to think like computers are neutral, computers are objective, but in this kind of context, it's it's not it's not really the case. Do you, do you think that um, AI overly is a positive thing in? our modern society or is it something that needs to be checked or is that is that too much of a simple question it's not as binary as that what what's your opinion um 
No, I think it's a, I think it's a it's a fair question because what what I say about it is there's so many things that are wrong with society that if you build AI in modern society and it's it's driven by profit motive, it's driven by how can we cut costs or how can we earn more? It's not driven by, you know, how can we alleviate poverty or how can we, you know, create a more equitable society? Then it's obviously going to reflect the values of, of the sort of industries that create it. So in theory, in another world where things were, you know, better, maybe AI would be a force for good. But in the current society we live in, I think it's almost inevitably going to be bad that's not to say there's some cool stuff and like you know you can you can have fun with the image generation and there might be some cool like scientific uses of it you know weather prediction is kind of a good thing like no one really is harmed by better weather prediction so there are definitely some good sides to it but i think overall the way it's used in society will reflect the the values of the society we have is that because uh, i think you sort of alluded to it there is that the, the its development is going to be funded where the money is and the motive of a company or a country that's essentially better in in their own eyes because of the that the, the, they they can generate more income that they would that the ais are going to be developed to perpetuate that rather mm. than it for being used for social good because there's a sort of at the there's a there's a a reflection of an idea that socialism is bad and um and and capitalist companies will will, will you know they'll, they'll fundamentally invest in something that's going to support their business model yeah yeah exactly exactly and i think like it's interesting to think about it in the context of just automation generally so if you think about all the things that have been brought in to automate aspects of labor whether that's you know the you know the automatic uh what they called the loom, you know, so people yeah. weren't sewing with their hands anymore. That displaced labor in a way that, yeah, in theory, it could be better because we don't have to spend loads of time like knitting clothes anymore. Yeah. But what it actually did was, you know, create working conditions that were actually quite dangerous. It gave more control over the production process to bosses. And the same thing happens with AI. It might not be that it actually improves processes. It might not be that we end up hiring better people or um, finding more instances of fraud or, you know, uh, having more dynamic markets and prices. It might just be that the purpose of it is to concentrate control. Um, so that would be my, like, I guess, you know, if you asked another computer scientist, they probably wouldn't say all this stuff, but because <laughs> I'm a bit of a lefty, that's probably my angle on it. What what um do do you know anything about how AI might be used in sport and performance and in specifically in football? That is a, yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I know there was a big um, case actually. I should go and look and see what happened with this. But there was a case a few years ago where a bunch of Premier League players started a legal case because all the analytics companies were basically creating profiles of them which i'm sure you've seen anyone who anyone who's like a, even slightly football nerd will see that any player you want to look at even in a lower league 
you'll be able to see all their stats. Yeah, yeah. Um, but these these Premier League players, they don't just have that. They've got also like very intimate data about their bodies. That's like their heartbeat. This is the everything. machine that they 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 the the, the club can track at their performance yeah. basically how far they're running and how their body's reacting to the, yeah. the stresses that they've been put under. Exactly. Yeah. So all what, that what, stuff. So what's the issue there? Was it they saying it's intrusive? Or? So yeah, I think that I think the case was like basically saying, look, this is data about us. We should have a say in how it's used. It's not just the sole um, like ownership of the of the club or of the analytics company. Uh, I don't know what actually happened to it, but it was an interesting sort of interesting reaction to yeah, yeah. this development of, of sort of analytics, sort of very, not just the analytics of, you know, this team beat that team, but like intimate details about an individual. Um, I mean, I, I guess I've got a bit less sympathy because they're paid so much, but still, you know, it's, it's an interesting test case because I'm sure in future, all of us, even if we're just, you know, ordinary people with ordinary salaries will will be increasingly expected to give away that kind of data to our employers for all kinds yeah. of reasons. Well um, what 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 might AI give Tottenham Hotspur as a <laughs> as a company for, you know, what, 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 what information how what, what how would they use it, I guess? What how's it handled? I'd say I'd, I'm I'm not I'm I'm sure there'll be, you know, people who actually know about sports science i'm I'm definitely not one of them who could probably tell you more but i'm sure i'm sure there's lots of things you could tell from that you know i'm sure you could predict you know the relationship between you know sleep and performance and you know predict when when a particular player should be subbed because they're about to you know run out of energy Mm. yeah i'm just speculating though fair enough um so one of the most impressive things i've ever experienced uh certainly in recent years but probably my entire life is how good the tiktok algorithm is mm. so i've never if i linger on and, and anyone who's listened to this who, who um who uses tiktok will 100 percent understand what what i'm talking about but i'm using it in real time and if i linger on a video it's just slightly longer than i would have done the other other videos that i've been served of suddenly the algorithm will kick in and give me more of what I've just asked for. In, in, we're talking like sp- split seconds. What, what's your opinion of the TikTok algorithm? And not not necessarily whether it's good or bad, but how impressive is it? Yeah. I, so I haven't actually. I don't actually use TikTok. Don't just, use it. It's, t- it's so addictive. You get <laughs> stuck. You get stuck in it. Honestly, I I, I I sort of end up like seeing TikToks that people post on other things. Yeah. But, um, but I, I I do sort of have a I I did do some testing of it when it was this was in like 2017 or 2016 when it was called Musically. Um, and I remember right. yeah yeah it was called that yeah. Predictive. Um, but I guess the difference between the TikTok algorithm and let's say uh, Netflix algorithm, the thing about the way you use Netflix, the algorithm has to learn from what you do, and it only learns when you take an action in relation to a piece of content in this case yeah so with netflix you might watch a film and you get to the end of the film and you're like oh well, that was shit Doesn't... but netflix has learned nothing yeah won't know. they won't know how you feel the about same it amount of time it took you to watch a film tick tock if you're just on tiktok for an hour and a half 
you've already given TikTok loads and loads of information because you've you've like skipped a video or stayed on a video. So you're just get you're just giving them way more behavioral signals. So I think that's one of the reasons, probably other reasons as well, but that's one of the main reasons why it's so much uh, more compelling than uh, than the other algorithms. It's just it, it, it's it's like supremely functional. It just works, and and I'm sitting there complicit, completely complicit in that. And 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 all right, I, I did like that video. I want more of it, and I'm 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 41. Like I've I've got stuff to do. <laughs> and I'm sitting on my sofa and get locked into it for an hour or two. I've never experienced anything like it. And I know what's happening. I understand that I'm that, that there's an, an AI involved, an algorithm involved, and, and, and it's controlling me. And I know that's the case. And I'm willful, willfully, like I say, com- complicit in, in what, what's happening. Uh, mm. it's, it, yeah, well, I mean, how, how do you... That, that, that can't be a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it is kind of scary to see how how addictive these things can be. Um, but I suppose the one of the one of the problems is that it's just purely based on behaviour. So you never get a chance to say to TikTok, "Okay, give me a break, give me half an hour to like reflect on on myself and reflect on like the last ten hours of stuff I've watched and figure out." And until they don't give you a chance to tell them, look, I sort of wish that I hadn't spent all this time looking at this thing or that, you know, looking at this particular, like, whatever genre of TikTok it is. So they never get that signal. All they get is your behavior. Now, obviously, the reason they don't want you to reflect on that is because they want to keep you engaged. Hmm. But you could imagine in the future you'd have um, systems that would try to. Oh, thank you. Um, you'd have sorry, um, sorry you'd have systems that would like try and take into account that other kind of information so um you know what not just what you do in the moment but what you feel about that later on so if you actually regret all that time you spent on that platform that could factor it in and be like next time you end up going down a rabbit hole it could be like you want to take a break you know maybe maybe you don't want to do this right now yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I get it. It's, um, it's, yeah, it's it's scary when you think about it too much, and that, and, and and TikTok doesn't want you to think about it too much. They just want you to react yeah. to what what they're doing. Um, so just before you know, we're moving towards the end of this conversation, but I'm 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 interested in what you're teaching and and what you're talking about when you uh, you know at, uh, university and. And what what your students are up to? What 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 how, how what 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 are you doing? Like what what kind of conversations are you having? What what have you talked about today? What, what... Um, so I guess I sort of do some of my time is spent doing just research. So like you know, building things, testing them out, seeing are what you, people are you lecturing. Yeah, and then the other the other half of well, not even half, like less than half of my time is is teaching. That's uh, teaching uh, sort of lectures. So people come in and I give them a lecture. Uh, if anyone's been to uni, they'll sort of understand what that's about. But there's also like supervision where you've got one-to-one uh, sort of meetings with students who are developing their their own research. So I'm sort of guiding them through that as well. Um, and I'm quite, I quite enjoy the teaching side because um, most of my students are, mature students so they have 
their full-time job and they are trying to learn in their spare time, do a master's. So I learn a lot from them because they have a lot of real world experience. Unlike, you know, sort of 18 year olds who've just, just come from school yeah. who are fun as well, but they're, you know, they don't have as much uh, world experience. They want to, they want to know about the Terminator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what, what, uh, do you do you come across students that really like her, that are inspiring it, that, that they're 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 doing things that are going to make a significant impact on how AI works or how it should be regulated or what the ethical boundaries of what what that might entail? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's definitely some students that have done really interesting research and are really smart. Problem is, a lot of them end up going to work at Google or Facebook or other big tech companies and then you never hear from them again <laughs> because right. they're like you know they understand all the reasons why the current technology is has got risks and got problems but there's and, money to be made at google yeah well I, hopefully they'll be trying to change you know what's going on from from the inside um but yeah that's that's the reality they, is that would you think that google is, is a positive a force for good or a force for bad I'd say on balance at the moment, it's force for bad. Why? Uh, but, you know, I've, I've definitely been, I guess, I guess you could say I'm hypocritical in that I definitely use a lot of Google products. Everybody does. You can't avoid it. But but, but yeah. why, why are they a force for bad? Uh, so too... so their tagline is, their, their tagline used to be, don't be evil. And then at some point, I think maybe five, six years ago, they decided, nah, not, we're not going to, have that one anymore because what if we want to be evil what but what do you mean the tagline was bad don't be that evil. Was like their, that was like their company motto it was like i think maybe someone asked them you know what's your corporate social responsibility and they're like don't be evil and then and then later on they regretted it because they thought oh maybe we maybe we do want to be a bit evil sometimes well, what what are google and facebook doing in terms of ai what how are they developing it and how are they pushing it forward well they've got some of the biggest ai research uh kind of teams and they've got huge amounts of resources that universities don't have so it used to be that you know ai research was you know conducted by the private sector but but mostly driven by academic researchers who were you know funded by governments to do work that's you know scientific work in the public interest uh, and to develop the field and then that can then be commercialized what you've got now is companies like Google and Facebook uh, and others, they're the ones that have the best uh, computing infrastructure. So to train these big AI models, you need loads and loads of computers and loads and loads of energy. So actually there's a quite a big carbon footprint and you know you need loads of electricity, computing power to produce these things. And so only you know the Googles, the Facebooks, the Microsofts have the actual money and power to do that stuff and so that just means that these cutting edge ai systems even if they were completely benevolent it's it's not great that they're completely controlled by these private companies because they get to decide you know when to release them what to do with them and if you want to do cutting edge research you kind of have to partner with them with those companies so uh, yeah it's a, it's a bit of a tricky situation for ai research to be in i think what if um so facebook and google are a part of western ideals and technology what's happening in china and russia as an equivalent 
Yeah, so China is definitely also one of the big players. So there's companies like Baidu, uh, Huawei. Um, you know, we're kind there's, of there's aware most... of them. You can't, we're kind of aware of them, but they're not like no one would talk about sort of Google and Facebook in the same yeah. breath as, as as those. But but how significant are they? Yeah, they're definitely significant, and also you get a lot of um, sort of revolving door between people working at Google and Facebook and then working certainly in the research, research side of things. Is, is there a working relationship between the companies? It's not like as frosty as it seems politically. Yes and no. They're kind of, in some ways, they're enemies, but in other ways, they, they kind of work together on, on some things. Um, interestingly, though, like, for instance, um, my university uh, will not allow us to work with Huawei because of national security concerns. Yeah, this so is something that was... Like, a... geopolitical the highest level though that is that in the, which remember there was a deal was it i can't remember maybe like boris johnson came out i can't remember what it was but hawaii there was a phone um phone manufacturer right yeah yeah and there were security is- issues with that and risks of that so yeah i mean it's uh it's a fascinating thing and i'm not, I'm not sure um i mean i could talk about this all night but i'm conscious of keeping <laughs> uh, taking too much of your time uh, Ruben, thank you so much for sharing all this information. It's been lovely and a really interesting chat. And um, we'll see see what no happens with AI. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 terrified, but um, <laughs> hopefully I'm, I'm terrified as well. Okay, all right. I'll ask you one final question: Is when you when you, when you're going to bed at night and you you, you know you, you're getting into bed and it's the most comfortable and safest place in the world for you? What 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 keeps you up, if anything? <laughs> I don't know. I think luckily I managed to keep most of this out of my my um, sleeping sort of state uh, for now. So you're cool. Now. You're all right. I literally I, I put my head down and I just I just sleep and then wake up at seven a.m. every day. I'm just I'm, I'm very sleep, sleeping has never been an issue, but definitely my waking hours. This definitely occupies a lot of my time. That is a mark of a psychopath. Just so you know, <laughs> someone can just knowing what you know and sleeping. <laughs> Reuben, thank you so much, mate. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.